Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Congratulations! Congratulations to the University of Minnesota dance team. Yep, yep. The 2024 national champions. Congratulations. Uh, They danced to Dream On, um, and I think they uh, are worthy of being celebrated today. If you have not already seen the video of their uh, award-winning performance, championship performance, um... Most of the nation has because it was featured on like Good Morning America and other um, other media outlets. And I think that the they're surprised. They're surprised by the attention they're getting. Um, and so when there are positive reasons to lift one another up and celebrate one another, we need to be doing it. We're going to rejoice with those who rejoice today in the spirit of Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. What does it look like to live the word of God. Well, who can you rejoice with today? Literally. Who can you literally rejoice with today? Who is rejoicing? Someone who has cause to rejoice and rejoice with them. And then what does it look like to weep with those who weep today? Um, Who is weeping today? I, uh, um, I get all kinds of media feeds And one of the roundups that I get every morning actually comes from the Washington Post. And in their roundup today, um, I was I was just kind of surprised to see reference to a pastor and then reference to a sermon. And then um, clicking through. It's not like they ran an obituary. It's not like they ran an order of service. They printed the entire message. They, they printed the sermon. They printed the Bible verses. Why? Well, from the Washington Post perspective, maybe because the person who died happened to be the very first gunshot victim in Washington, D.C. In, in this calendar year. Um, she died by a gunshot injury, I mean, she's literally walking down a, a hallway um, in a hotel New Year's Eve. The Well, I guess New Year's morning, just after New Year's Eve. 18-year-old Ashley Hines. So why is 18-year-old Ashley Hines being publicly eulogized? Well, because her grandpa, who she called Poppy, is the pastor of the Johnson Memorial Baptist Church in Prince George's County. And so the Washington Post didn't just run an obit. And they didn't just run a commentary. They ran the eulogy. They printed the Word of God for everyone to see. They printed the Bible verses out. 
So I have this strange response and reaction because I'm certainly weeping with those who weep the loss of this precious girl. I'm weeping with her grandpa. But I also find myself strangely rejoicing that God's getting his witness in the midst of all of this. The world didn't, the world didn't show up, right, for the funeral. A lot of people showed up for the funeral, but the world didn't show up to the funeral. But the world now has access to the message that was preached because the Washington Post printed the whole thing. You may come across things today where you can't decide, am I supposed to be rejoicing or am I supposed to be grieving? So rejoice with those who are rejoicing and grieve with those who are grieving. I really want um, us to be checking in on folks today. If you were here during the first hour, then you know I made reference to this Elmo story. And in, for those of you who know me well, I don't often circle back around and talk about something twice in the same morning. But Elmo on Monday morning of this week, um, now, I mean, obviously Elmo didn't post, right? Elmo is a fictional character on Sesame Street. But Elmo has a Twitter account, formerly known as Twitter, an X account, and on Elmo's Facebook page, I mean, sorry, on Elmo's Twitter feed, X feed, whatever we're calling it, Elmo just posted, Elmo is just checking in. How is everybody doing? And when I last checked about um, 30 minutes ago, there were 173 million views of that one post and hundreds of thousands of responses from celebrities to news outlets to other Sesame Street characters. People are replying. A lot of them with news that is not good. People are in despair. They're exhausted. They're living in dread. And so Elmo um, posted in response, um, you know, to all of that, um, genuine concern. And reference to the 988 suicide hotline and reference to other mental health resources that people could turn to. But I think that the takeaway is this. Check in today. Elmo was just checking in. I don't think that's a hard ask for you and I to just check in with others today. You can literally just say, hey, I'm just checking in. How are you doing? You might be surprised by the response. It might yield an opportunity to rejoice with someone who's rejoicing. And it might supply an opportunity to weep with one who's weeping. The question of who we are as the body of Christ and how we respond to one another um, and to the real concerns that real people are facing in real time, I think that's part of the conversation about what it means to be the church, to really be the church, the family um, of faith. So we're going to talk with Trevin Wax from the Gospel Coalition. He's the host of a podcast called Reconstructing Faith, um, and we're, gonna, we're just going to talk with Trevin about some things that he's learned a- along the way. Um, and some recent things that he's also been um, been sharing with us at the Gospel Coalition. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. (music) 
Trevin Wax is back from the Gospel Coalition. Uh, among other things, he is the host of the podcast called Reconstructing Faith. We're going to talk about season two of Reconstructing Faith today. Uh, Trevin, good morning. Welcome back. Carmen, great to be with you. So uh, I want to talk about um, annihilation, how easy it is to tear things down or burn things down um, mm. versus trying to fix or rebuild that which we recognize as broken. Um, so I, I really want to give you the opportunity to to talk about um, this scene that I have not seen, but I have read because you have talked about it. I want you to tell us about this scene um, in Loki. Yeah, this is something, you know, I've, I've watched a bunch of the Marvel shows, but I haven't really, I hadn't really gotten into Loki until this season of the podcast when several people sent me this link and said, Trevin, you've got to watch this particular scene from this episode of Loki. Now, I mean, just to, because I know probably not all of your listeners are are into Loki. This is a show that raises lots of questions about institutions and their importance, but it does so in a way, I mean, it's a, it's a sci-fi kind of a show. So there's thought experiments and time travel and things like that. But, but there's a conversation between Loki and Sylvie in season two, episode four. And, and, and uh, um, it's a debate about what's the way forward. And Sylvie thinks we can't, you know, what if you're wrong? What if we can't, you know, make this place any better? It would just be better to burn down and start from scratch. And Loki's response is, sure, you know, burn it down, easy. Annihilating is easy. Raising things to the ground is easy. Trying to fix what's broken is hard. Hope is hard. And the reason that I think a bunch of people sent me that is because they recognize we're in a moment right now when it comes to the church where the really difficult task isn't just pointing out what's wrong with the church, but rolling up our sleeves and trying to be a part of the solution trying to fix what we see is wrong. It's definitely easy, easier to um, to leave, to move. I think about um, recent stories of people going back to Paradise, California, and making the hard choice to rebuild in a place where everything is burned down. Um, but they want, but they want the new community um, to be to remember to not be, you know, for, for what has burned down to not be totally lost. Um, it, it, you made me think of like, um, demolition day on, uh, on shows where they are, um, you know, they're going to rebuild a portion of a house or they're going to rebuild an entire house. In some cases, demo day doesn't take very long. Um, which leads us into this conversation about sledgehammers, um, don't build anything. Can you give us a window into that? Yeah, I in the in the first episode of this season, I I, I actually I was um, I used the example of Notre Dame. You know, I mean, I we all mm-hmm. remember that day a few years ago with horror, watching this really landmark place that has uh, even if you've never been there, it's just it's such a symbol of stability um, in in Paris. Watching that cathedral burn and then watching the spiral fall and all of that and what what what's fascinating though has been to watch what is taking place what's been taking place since then i mean there have been i mean it's remarkable <laughs> the amount of craftsmen and people who are involved in all kinds of restoration and rebuilding all and over the world we're doing oh i mean it's it's a it's, it's a it's a remarkable achievement mm-hmm. and 
And my point with saying that sledgehammers don't build anything, I mean, there is a point where, you know, with Demo Day, you do have to take sledgehammers to, you know, I've I've gutted house after a flood, for example, you know, um, if you've done disaster relief after a hurricane or whatnot, you you do, you, you got to take the house down to the studs generally. And then you have to like rebuild from there and you got to put more, you know, new drywall in and things like that. So there is a place for the sledgehammer, but the sledgehammer isn't what builds. You you actually you need a hammer and nails for that. You actually have to to get busy. And I think we're in this moment now where a lot of there's a lot of incentive uh, in the church to kind of come in and, and and be a sledgehammer. And there's there's good with that, but that can't be all. They can't be all we're about. We there's a lot of rebuilding that needs to be done, and sledgehammers aren't going to help us get it done. Uh, we're talking with Trevin Wax. We're talking about the new season of Reconstructing Faith. It's a podcast, um, and I'm I find it tremendously encouraging. Um, and so I'm inviting you to consider adding this to the podcast that you listen to as well. Um, we have talked here, Trevin, um, about the great dechurching. We have talked about um, the reality that you know 40 million people have stopped going to church in the past 25 years. Um, can you comment on um, on that and maybe the hope of reversal in terms of that trend? Yeah, it's really interesting to to watch this. This has been happening for a long time now. And I think a couple of, I think there's a couple of caveats with that, those de-churching statistics. One of them is that a lot of people who have left the church because of you know, maybe they've seen corruption or they've experienced abuse or they've been in a, uh, you know, there's been a lot of church conflict or whatnot. They have the tendency to read that back into the, in, into the, the, the reasons for why de-churching is happening at a broader scale mm. as if everyone's leaving the church for those reasons. And those, those experiences are real and they hurt and they are significant uh, for the people involved, but when you actually look at the 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 actual surveys and statistics of people who have left the church in the last twenty five years, you'll find that the the majority of them, uh, it it they're they're not leaving the church because of some terrible experience. It's generally much more casual than that. It's a you know it's a well we moved to a different town and we just we never found another church or we we kind of fell out of the habit you know during COVID or we wound up. You know, uh, uh, we got involved with a bunch of kids' activities, and we just it kind of dropped off. We haven't been back like we should, you know. And and a lot of the D church actually still hold to, for the most part, traditional Christian beliefs. So, you know, but one of the things that that the research found is that a lot of people who have left the church haven't left the church mad or upset or about anything. They've just sort of drifted away, and would be open to an invitation back. So I just I think it's important for us to take into consideration the lots of the different stories out there and make sure that we don't have just sort of one cause of dechurching, but recognize there are multiple causes, there are multiple kinds of dechurched people, and to begin rebuilding, you know, even in our own lives, our our love for the church, why we want to gather together and worship, why it's important, why it's essential for the Christian life, to recapture the beauty of that for ourselves and then invite others into that as well. We're talking with Trevin Wax from the Gospel Coalition. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I want you to think about Nehemiah, what you know about Nehemiah and the days of Nehemiah. I want you to think about um, what it would look like for you to find your place on the wall. 
That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. What are some of the things that you find hard to believe? Do you find it hard to believe that God hears you? Do you find it hard to believe that God loves you? Do you find it hard to believe that right now God knows how many hairs there are on your head and how many are on your hairbrush? Like, do you sometimes find it hard to believe that God cares about you and the stuff going on in your life right now? My friend Susie Larson wants you to be reminded every single day, every single day, that God is good. Would you like to wake up to the goodness of God? Just text the word good to 877-933-2484. Every single day, you'll get encouraging text messages, prayers, and devotions from Susie Larson right on your phone. Just text the word good to 877-933-2484. Connecting faith to life, Faith Radio. Trevin Wax is here with us. You can find what he's writing at thegospelcoalition.org. We're talking um, about uh, his podcast that he hosts. It's called Reconstructing Faith. And now this is a um, genuinely, like, the, the production value of Reconstructing Faith podcast is very high. So I want you to know that going in. This is a, this is a well thought through from beginning to end, well-constructed um, it's it, it it's fantastic. So I uh, I feel really comfortable, in fact, enthusiastic about directing you um, to listen and to really consider the issues and concerns that are raised and the solutions that are offered. So Trevin, let's um let's talk about that. Talk about everybody finding their place on the wall. Yeah, you know, I, I think the burden for me with this podcast, and I appreciate the the kind words you said about the production value. It's been a Certainly been a team effort, and I'm I'm just it's grateful really for the good. people I get to work with on it. It's uh, it, it's been fun to be able to, you know, to 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 give it that kind of a time and attention. But uh, the the real heart behind it, the burden of it, Carmen is is I I want us to do something constructive. Like at the end of the day, there are a lot of podcasts that will tell you everything that's wrong with the church, and. I don't want to shy away from the problems in the church. In fact, a lot of the episodes are about things that are difficult or challenges that we face in the church, uh, mistakes that have been made in the church, problems, sins that we need to root out and things. But but I really, my heart has been, okay, well, how do we move forward from that? Like what what is what is constructive about it? And so I I kind of, I want to gather a, a, and, and help inspire a new generation of Nehemiahs. You know, you remember the, the Old Testament story of Nehemiah, uh, he asked for permission to go back with uh, many of the Jews to 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 rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, and there was a lot of opposition to that. You know, you have Sam Ballot and Tobiah; they're they're, they're the two big critics that want to want to stop the Jews from the rebuilding process. And um, and I think even today, I think those who want to do something constructive are going to receive a lot of criticism. There are going to be people that want to get them off task or want to distract them with this thing or that thing or tell them that it's 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 no use. It's, you know, it's better to, to for things to be the way they are or for, you know, for us to not rebuild in some way. And I just, I, I want to encourage people, first of all, to to be more like Nehemiah than Sam Ballot and Tobiah, to recognize the problems, but then to get to work doing what we can through the Spirit's power to fix them. And secondly, I, I realize sometimes you look at the church and you look at all the problems and they're so multifaceted and they're so, com you know, they're complex and they're complicated. It's not like you, there's a simple solution for everything. 
you may look at it and you just may be completely overwhelmed and want to throw your hands up in despair. And I, to that person, I just want to say, you know, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. Mm -hmm. So find a place on the wall, you know, ask, like, look into your heart, talk to people, get counsel from people around you. Where, where do you have passion and skills and gifts that God has given you where you could be of use in his service for the rebuilding of the church's witness to rebuilding toward a healthier church in the next generation. You know, where do your gifts match up with the church's needs? Um, those are, those are the questions I think we need to ask. And I just say, Hey, you know, no one can do every, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. So let's find a place on the wall and then let's get to work. I want to, um, I want to highlight one of your recent blogs um, because I have sat in the movie theater and watched that one minute Nicole Kidman <laughs> thing at the beginning. And I have chuckled to myself every single time. But until I read your blog, I didn't really understand what about it made me so like, I don't know, in, almost indignant. Can you can you read us in? I know this goes back a few days and you've posted a couple of blogs since then, but can you take us to the spiritual promise the cinema can't deliver? Oh, sure, sure. This is, you know, I've seen that that um we don't go to movies too often, but we do have an AMC, a couple of AMC theaters close by, and I've seen that Nicole Kidman commercial more times than I can count. And it's kind of funny because it's campy and it's just it's so over the top. But the, you know, if if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. It's she she walks in all alone to this theater and she's she's talking about the magic of the cinema and she she ascends the staircase and then she goes and takes her seat and she talks about you know the the lights dim and then we're not just there to be entertained she says but somehow reborn together you know uh and then there's that funny line heartbreak feels good in a place like this you know that a lot of people have have joked about but what i find about that that ad and what's always struck me about it is that as much as she talks about how we're all together going and being transported into this other world. I know th there's no one in the theater. <laughs> so and maybe that's because that ad came out of, you know, a, only a year after COVID or I don't know why, but I just think I, isn't it kind of the purpose of going to the theater that you go with someone to watch a movie and, you, and with other people, like you could watch a movie at home, you know, you go to the big screen, but you go to be together. So the fact that she's all alone, I think it really says something about our society today. We love to talk about community, but in the end, a lot of what's off on offer is actually just isolating to us. And and and, and that's that's the thing. That's what that's this promise that cinema can't keep. We're not going to be reborn by the movies, but it's tapping into that longing for rebirth, that longing for mm -hmm. connection. And I think that's what we have to to recognize and see through. It's so good. It's so good. I um I appreciate you so much. Um, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for the Reconstructing Faith podcast. You guys ought to be checking that out. Um, you can connect with Trevin and what he's writing at thegospelcoalition.org. Trevin, thanks for being with us today. Carmen, thank you for having me. Great to be here. It's, it's such a joy. Um, happening right now in um, in Washington, D.C., is something called the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance. It's going to be taking place at the Museum of the Bible most of the day today. And I just thought that, um, I mean, although you can you could go and you could watch the live stream at PrayDC.org, I just thought that for our part, we might, um, we might just participate right now. Um, so let's pray. 
Father, we do come before you as brothers and sisters in Christ. We recognize that the access that we have to your throne room um, is, is only and always by him. He, he alone is worthy to stand in your presence. And so, Father, we come in the name of Jesus. We come as people who believe in him, have put our faith in him. We come to you as little children. We come to you with the knowledge that we are sinful. Um, And we come to you pleading, pleading on behalf of the nation where we live. Father, we come before you in repentance. We have broken your heart and we have broken ourselves against that which you have revealed to be good and beautiful and true. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us the sins that we are aware of and forgive us all the good we failed to do. Father, we ask, acknowledging that not everybody, not everybody, not all of our neighbors, not everybody in positions of power and leadership, not everybody's bowing the knee to Jesus. We know that, Father. But today we plead with you that you would look around and that you would find us faithful in the midst of a time and a day and a nation where many people are seeking after that which is other than you. Father, may the light of our lives shine in such a way that they would turn toward you. May the way we represent Christ today make people ask about him. May the way that we lay down our lives and pick up our crosses bear positive witness and testimony in this generation to you. We would be so bold as to ask that you would protect us and provide for us. But we also recognize the need for deep, deep repentance. And we recognize that there are tools that you use to bring that about, and many of those are painful. So help us see what's happening. Help us um, have spiritual eyes on the matters of this day and give us the very mind and the spirit of Christ in the midst of it. In his name we pray. Amen. Take a deep breath. Consider today um, reaching out to somebody that you know just needs checking up on or checking in with. Be praying today along with others for um, our nation and a fresh wind of the Spirit, even um, even renewal and revival. Our friend Corbin Hornbeek is going to join us next. He is the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul and Northwestern Media and We're going to talk about what it looks like to honor God, to honor God in the midst of a secular generation. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Sometimes we think that the days in which we live, well, you know, nobody's ever lived in days like these. There's never been the kind of clash of cultures 
um, or clash of civilizations or worldviews that, you know, that we face. Hmm. We're going to talk about that with Dr. Corbin Hornbeek. He's the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. He's also the president of Northwestern Media. Good morning, Corbin. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning, Paul. It's great to be here with you both this morning. It's so wonderful to talk with you. Oh. So um, you delivered a chapel message uh, earlier this week about mm. how we honor God in the midst of a secular world. And you talked about Daniel. And I thought, oh. you know what? This would be an opportunity for us to talk about the kingdoms of this world and the mm-hmm. kingdom of God, how we serve the king and and the big K kingdom in the midst of whatever kingdom we happen to live in. And Daniel's such an amazing character in this conversation because Daniel didn't just serve, you know, like one pagan or secular kingdom. (laughs) He served four, Four. right? It didn't, it's not like it got better. Yeah. So, um, so can you just maybe read us in, there's probably people listening right now who've never heard of Daniel. They just, they've never heard of him. And so you can assume that going into this conversation. Well, you know, this is where my, um, my personal devotional life has been the last several months in the in the book of Daniel, but also uh, Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah speaks of uh, Daniel and this whole group of uh, of exiles when Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, um, had conquered Jerusalem. He took Daniel and he took um, all kinds of people from Jerusalem into Babylon and. Um, what I love about the story of Daniel, it speaks to us in our world today, because as you said, Carmen, Daniel served four kings. Uh, two of them were Babylonian kings and two of them were Persian kings once Persia uh, conquered Babylon. So how does somebody rise to the highest positions of political power? How does somebody rise to the place of influence in culture um, and yes, we know the amazing story of God being with Daniel and saving him from the lion's den and, and all of these amazing things. But how does somebody like Daniel um, persist and thrive and influence um, really, really godless, uh, pagan, hedonistic culture uh, of Babylon and, and Persia? And so it, it's a challenging story to me, and I think it speaks to, um, of course, my love for college students and this generation who are the leaders who are going into our world and those who will carry the mantle of Christ and and influence our world uh, today and tomorrow. Daniel is young um, when he is, when he's taken, you know, initially I would say like as a hostage, right? He is, uh, uh, but ultimately, you know, I don't know. I don't know when a hostage becomes, uh, (laughs) becomes an exile, but um, yeah. but we talk about Daniel as being taken as a captive, um, as a part mm. of the spoils of war, yep. when when Babylon um, brings Jerusalem to its knees, carries off its youngest, fine, yep. uh, finest, youngest people, um, and seeks to utilize, really, who they are, their gifts, talents, and abilities to advance they're, you know, a, a culture that's really contrary to their own. Yeah. So I think that's part of what's going on here. Like, um, how does Daniel not get co-opted? <laughs> does that make sense? Like, how how does he retain his worldview, um, his big K kingdom advancing no. um, worldview, his godly worldview in the midst of a culture that is genuinely godless? Mm-hmm. 
Honestly, that's been one of the big questions that I've, as I've been burying myself in the study of Daniel. How did he do it? Um, how um, he was so unusual. And it, of course, he had three friends uh, who we uh, know of as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, who also demonstrated that same kind of faith. I presume that there were a lot of other of these young men who lost their faith, who might have lost their way. And and that's also, in in a tragic way, as you said, part of the spoils of war. Uh, terrible things happen. But for some reason, Daniel and his three friends uh, retained their faith uh, against all odds at a very young age. So 13 or 14, and, and it, I think it's a great story for us as we talk to our young people, even our young kids who might be 10 or 11 or 12, 13, 14 years old, and we wonder, can they persist in this world? Um, can they be young men and young women of great faith and influence in this world? And Daniel gives us uh, a picture of that. Um, in chapter 6 of Daniel, there's a place where uh, it describes Daniel as, as being a, a man with a spirit of excellence, an excellent spirit. And I don't know exactly what that means, but I've thought about that a lot because we want to challenge our young people uh, to be men and women of excellence, to be men and women with, uh, with, moral, with a moral anchor uh, who are anchored by their faith, uh, who are confident in who they are and who God has designed them to be, and to aspire to that level of excellence uh, in a world that is unhinged morally. Mm. We're uh, we're talking with Corbin Hornbeek. We're talking about Daniel, and this is a part of a conversation that um, that I hope leads you to ask the question: How can I? How can I as a God-fearing person, how can I, as a Christ follower, how can I honor God in the midst of a secular generation and secularizing influences all around me? Um, When we talk about the people who shape society or how society is shaped, Daniel has a role in shaping what life is like for everyone else, even in the midst of um, a day and a time when he is a, he is himself a slave. Exactly. Um, you know, Daniel has this odd, really odd uh, position in Babylon and then later Persia because he's he's working from he's working from the back of the line, uh, if you will, and um, he earns favor um, over and over and over as his faith is challenged. And I think for so many of us as Christians, we want, uh, we want favor and we want to have a place of influence, um, but we're not sure we really like the idea of having our faith challenged and being in a position where we might have to pay a price for that. There's that uh, amazing... Um, scenario when, uh, or story in Daniel, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, uh, you know, being about ready to be thrown into the, the fiery furnace. And they tell uh, the king, look, um, even if God doesn't save us, that doesn't change anything about God. Um, if he does choose to save us, then that's pro- his prerogative to do that. And I think that is a, a, a dilemma 
that we face as Christians in the world today, are we really willing to stand on our faith in a way that says we may pay a serious, serious price for our faith? God may choose to save us, and he may choose not to save us in that moment, in that kind of a way. And as we deepen our faith, um, heading into culture to transform culture, we need to have that kind of faith. And I'm saying this to myself because I'm not sure I have that kind of faith yet. I'm, I'm challenged by it. Corbin, I think um, when we come back from a very, very brief break, I'd like for you to talk about um, Christians in the contemporary culture today, um, what you think it looks like or what it means for us to be people who, by what we say, by how we live, by yeah. how we function, where we work, um, how how can we be culture-shaping influencers? Great. Um, and sometimes I think the challenge is, we imagine it has to be big. We imagine it has to be culture wide. Right. We imagine, you know, everybody everywhere has to know that this is happening. <laughs> um, so can we can we address the some yep. of the the smallness of all of it? You bet. Yeah. Excellent. So we're talking we're talking with Dr. Corbin Hornbeek, president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul and Northwestern Media. Um, how are you going to shape the culture today? Have you thought about yourself as a culture shaper? You are a Christian. Um, and you are a person of influence in a sphere of influence where you live, where you work, where you serve. Um, so how are you going to shape the culture today? That's next here on Mornings with Carmen. Maybe you've heard that Faith Radio partners with One Child to offer you the opportunity to sponsor a child living in difficult circumstances in a hard place. Well, when you sponsor a child supplying for their needs, you change a life. And when you change the life of one child, you change the world. Your one child learns that God loves them more than they can imagine and that God's got special plans for their life. Your one child gets help with school and is taught skills like leadership and how to even overcome poverty. Your one child gets nutritious food and vital medical care that can be life-saving. You might not be able to change the world, but you can, in fact, change the life of one child. Meet the kids. Find your child at MyFaithRadio.com. As a Christian, you know the one who is the king, big K, king, um, King Jesus. You know the father of all. You are a servant of his kingdom advance. You are an ambassador of the king and the kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. You are a cultural influencer. And you may not feel that way because you think of people who are cultural influencers as those who have tens of millions of followers on some social media platform, you know, who who what they say can make or break a market. Um, but you have tremendous influence in the spheres of where God has granted you to walk and speak today. And so we're talking with Dr. Corbin Hornbeek. We're talking about our influence as Christians in the culture today. And this is one of those times where, you know, we don't want to think too highly of ourselves, but I think we often think too little of ourselves. So Corbin, can you Mm. maybe give us some talking and walking points in terms of our own cultural influence? Um, You bet. Um, I had the opportunity to share with our students this week and... 
And I gave them four strategies to think about out of the life of Daniel. But before I mention those things, I want to point us to an important verse um, in the book of Jeremiah, the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a prophet. And interestingly enough, Jeremiah was not one of the exiles who got taken into Babylon. Um, he was, uh, he stayed back in Jerusalem, but he wrote a letter uh, to the exiles and he said, here's how I want you to live. Here's how God wants you to live as exiles in Babylon. And just, you know, for our listeners to know that Babylon was a godless, secular, hedonistic, place, um, humanist, uh, what we might think of secular humanism, it wasn't a place that knew God or Yahweh at all. And in the book of uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse um, uh, verse 7, it, he tells them uh, this. He says, go and seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, this is a crazy thing, I think, that Dan, uh, that uh, Jeremiah is telling the exiles, because he's telling them to seek the peace and prosperity and the welfare of Babylon, which is a godless place. So why would any of us seek the peace and prosperity of those places in the world that we look at and think are really godless? Um and, you know, probably don't have time to unpack all of that here today, but um, this is a challenge, Carmen, for you and me and our listeners and our students in the world today who are thinking about how do I go into the world, um, how do I go into the world and be a person of influence? And Jeremiah tells them to go in, he says, build houses and settle down, plant vineyards, Eat, uh, you know, plant gardens, uh, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters. In other words, go on living life just as you would have in your former city of Jerusalem. And by your example of how you live life in your neighborhoods and in your cities and your workplace and your cubicle, um, by your example, you have the opportunity to be a person of influence. You know, sometimes we say, we hear people say, go change the world. And we love to tell our students that, go out and change the world. And the fact is, they're not going to. Um, nobody is going to go out and change the world. But we can change our neighborhood. Um, we can change our community. We can change uh, four or five families, maybe, that we live on the same street as. And I think sometimes when we, as you, I liked how you, you know, you opened this segment, Carmen, um, it's helpful for us to sort of break it down to a very local level where we can be a person of influence. I think of uh, changing the world inch by inch. Yeah. And so that means I got to claim, you know, I got to claim the one square inch. Yeah. Let me, let me right. work on the one square inch. Today. <laughs> That's um, right. You know, where, you know, and where I am, where I am standing, where I am living, where That's I am right. speaking. All right, so the four strategies, lay yeah. them out for us. <clears throat> um, the first strategy, and this this is all straight out of the book of Daniel, and so we'll just, I'll fly through these, but the first is um, being a person that has theological certainty. Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? Um, do you know what the Bible teaches and be a person who digs into the scripture and develop that that sense of theological certainty about who God is and how he is working in the world. The second point is is moral clarity, being a person that knows uh, what is right and what is wrong and having a sense of moral clarity about that. 
um, gives you the ability to be a person of influence. And I'm going to also say along with this, understand the difference between knowing exactly immutably uh, what is unchangeably right and wrong, but also where God gives us moral freedom. Uh, Where do we have the freedom to make moral choices um, in order to be a person of influence in the world? We could talk about that a lot someday. Um, The third strategy is being a person that is intellectually curious. Um, And this comes out of the, you know, the part of Daniel where he's, uh, you know, where where they describe how they were, uh, Daniel and his friends and all these young men were re-educated in the world of the Chaldeans. And the world of the Chaldeans, of course, they were astronomers, they were astrologers, they wrote literature. Um, They were very well-educated people. What I shared with our students this week is that everything that is in the Bible is true, but not everything that is true in this world is in the Bible. So we need to be people that are intellectually curious, uh, are able to discern what is true, um, and to be learners, lifelong learners. Never, ever stop learning, and you can be a person of influence. And the fourth strategy is to be a person who is culturally flexible. Why did Daniel survive four kings, two Babylonian and two uh, Persian? Somehow, he was able to transcend and and be sort of flexible, to to move in and out of different uh, cultures, different relationships with people, to relate to kings, um, to learn how to build relationships, um, and to uh, and to enjoy the culture uh, that that he lived in, to know what to avoid, uh, but also to know what to enjoy. So those are four strategies uh, that uh, that I think uh, help us think about how to be a person of influence in the world today. Theological certainty, moral clarity, intellectual curiosity, cultural flexibility. Um, I think that it, when we think about step-by-step, moment-by-moment um, choosing, yielding mm. to the Holy Spirit at work within us, um, each and every one of these strategies could be at play in a given moment. Um, and I think humility mm-hmm. um, is, is is sort of the... Um, uh, one of the things that I want to put over all of them, Amen. and you 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 address that I think in the moral clarity one where mm-hmm. you're you know you're talking about moral choices and moral freedom as well, and um, and intellectual curiosity suggests a humility. Um, the, theological certainty I I do think can be the one mm-hmm. area where sometimes as Christians we are not humble. We right. act as if there's nothing more for me to learn there. That's right. But I don't know about you. Every time I go to the Bible, um, you know, the well is ever deeper. There is much more for me to know of God um, every time I go and spend time with him. So ongoing humility well there. Put. Yeah. And, and humility is clearly a part of the conversation about cultural flexibility. Yeah. There's not a right and a wrong way to sing a particular hymn. It just isn't. <laughs> I mean, right, just I'm sing. Preach it. Just sing. So that's that's right. Good. Yeah, make a joyful Corbin noise. Is, amen. As <laughs> always, um, it's a delight to spend time with you. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for your leadership. Thank you for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Yeah, it's a delight. So today, um, you are God's person in the world. You have a king, and he has a kingdom. What is the king's kingdom vision? What's God's vision? Um, what does God have planned? What's Jesus getting up to today? What's the Spirit working on? And how is the Spirit working in you and me right now? 
So in the same way that the universe is still expanding, which blows our minds, right? But the kingdom of God is also still expanding right now, inch by inch, in all directions, in us, among us, and through us, exponentially and irreversibly. So today, as you consider God's vision, um, just recognize that that is not something that is getting smaller and smaller. It is something that is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So wherever you set your eyes today, wherever you set your feet today, wherever you're spending time today, that is a moment and a place where God wants to have influence and he has you right there. If you think to yourself at some point today, these godless people are having a conversation and you know God, God doesn't seem to have any part of it. Well, guess what? God has you in that conversation to be his ambassador, to be his representative, to speak on his behalf. So be an agent of grace and a minister of reconciliation today. Sow peace everywhere you can. Yeah, and work for the good of the city where God has planted you right now. Reclaim one inch, one inch today for the king and the kingdom. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.